Okay, good evening everyone. Good to see you all here tonight. Your bright shining faces, that's good. Um, you have your Bibles, turn to 1 John. That's where we will continue moving right along. We're starting chapter 4 tonight in our study of the book of 1 John. I'm thankful Brandon covered for me last week um, and finished up chapter 3 for us. So we have a brand new chapter tonight. Uh, chapter 4. In the, uh, in the text that Brandon covered last week, we talked about a person's heart condemning them or not condemning them. You know, the subject was knowing if you're of the truth. That is, knowing if you are truly a believer. And in John's ongoing pattern of giving proofs, for salvation here, he was, he was at it again. As a Christian, your heart may occasionally condemn you. Okay, but John said, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. If, you, if your heart uh, does not condemn you, uh, you have confidence before God, John wrote, as we saw last week. Okay, but if it does condemn you, you need to be reassured of the truth. Okay, an unbeliever's heart condemning them would, would be rightly so. But a believer's heart condemning them would not be right because there is no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, so we need the Spirit of God to reassure us. So that's the point. If, if you're saved, even though you may sometimes wonder or doubt because of ongoing sin or immaturity in the faith or lack of knowledge of the gospel, the Spirit of God will remind you of the truth, that as a Christian, your sins are forgiven. You are no longer condemned, and that is good news for sure. And this is the work of the Spirit in the believer, and John says it reassures our heart. And that is something that we all need in our lives from time to time. God is greater than our doubting heart, and He can remind us of the truth of our salvation in Christ Jesus. Um, so so that, is, that is not for the unbeliever to have some sort of false assurance. Okay? This is for the believer. We also saw that John mentioned uh, God's commandment to believe last week. If a person does not first believe, they can have no genuine assurance. Okay? There are many commandments from God, to be sure, in the Scriptures. But this commandment overshadows all other commandments that God has given men. It's the commandment without which no man will see the kingdom of God. And John specified this commandment in verse 23 of chapter 3, um, the last chapter, and, uh, the chapter that we finished last week. And it was that we must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. And if a person keeps this commandment, meaning if a person believes in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, if a person believes the gospel, he will be saved. A person who does not, a person who does so will also prove it by his pattern of life. And specifically, John talked about love for the brethren. And remember that uh, it's another proof of salvation, again, um, a specific love for those who are in Christ. John has written about that before. We've, we've gone over it in, in weeks past. Um, how do we know? John says that the Spirit testifies. The Spirit confirms to us that we belong to God. 
John put it this way last week in the very last verse of chapter 3, verse 24, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. And it's regarding this topic of the work of the spirit of God in a person's life that John writes his, his next words. And the words we'll be looking at in tonight's study. This, this passage of scripture is a very important passage for us to understand and pay attention to, just as it was to John's readers in the early church. Okay, these, are, these are words to live by for the Christian. This is a practice of Christian discernment that has unfortunately been set aside in our day for an emotional, feelings-based way of trying to reassure our hearts. Okay, if I feel a certain way, then my heart is reassured, uh, as opposed to um, looking at the truth of what God has said to be reassured. Okay, that, is a, that, is, that is true reassurance. To have and live by a feelings-based, emotionally-based way of reassuring our hearts, it will lead to more doubt, more guilt, spiritual abuse, uh, and lead to people who are unsaved believing that they are saved. And this, this has been a theme in John's writing so far, wanting people to know the truth, believe the truth, and be reassured in the truth. So let's read our passage for tonight, and then we'll pray and ask God's help in, in understanding. Let's look at 1 John chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6, though. I think we're only going to get 1 through 3 um, finished tonight. Okay, starting in 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we open tonight with the reading of your word and then come to you in prayer, we ask, Lord, that, um, that you would give us understanding tonight, that you would open up your word to us, open up our hearts to receive it, our minds to understand it as you see fit, Father. And we thank you for the truth of your word, uh, that we can have it as an absolute anchor in our lives for instruction and godly living. And we praise you for it. I pray that you would help us to have that mindset always, Lord, that your word is trustworthy, your word is true and right. Uh, and we, we thank you for preserving it, and we thank you that you always will preserve it. Um, and Father, I thank you for all those folks that are here tonight. We are truly blessed to have them. May our time be precious tonight, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So when the Apostle John writes to the early church and speaks about the Spirit, we must remember that he's, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, okay? the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, 
God himself, the Holy Spirit is God himself. That is what he meant when he said, the Spirit whom he has given us. In that last verse of chapter 3, he mentioned the Spirit whom he has given us. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Now we see that John finds it necessary to distinguish between spirits. Okay, so a question for you. If, if you could break it down into one phrase or sentence as to why John must talk about distinguishing between spirits, what reason would you give? Why does he have to bring up distinguishing between spirits? It's an open question. What was that? Because of false prophets. Same, same answer? Yeah? Yeah, because... There's what is false out there, and so we need to distinguish between what is false and what is true. There are evil spirits. Not every spirit, in other words, is from God, okay? So remember, he just finished talking about the Spirit of God within us and how he reassures us as believers. The subject of the Spirit has come up in the positive at the end of chapter 3. Now John stays on the topic of the Spirit but brings up the negative. Okay, look at verse 1 with me in chapter 4 again. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Okay, so John is using an an imperative here in, in the word believe and the negative word not to indicate that, that they are to stop what is already being done. Okay, the people are already believing other spirits, spirits that are not from God. Um, and John is saying to his beloved brethren, stop believing every spirit. Okay, this is a problem. They're already, some are already engaged in this practice, already setting aside the truth uh, that they had been taught for what is, they might consider plausible-sounding lies. Right? They're, they're believing them as truth, but they're lies they have a sense of plausibility to them. And remember what we described at the beginning of this study. When we first started First John, we described uh, the Gnostics, okay? that they claimed to have special knowledge. They taught that Jesus Christ was not God, they, they, that God had not come in the flesh. That's what the people John is writing to are dealing with, that kind of, that kind of teaching. And we have this same lie today, and of course many, many, many more. Um, they're they're not to be believed, okay? But how are they to be dealt with? And John says uh, not to believe every spirit, but to test the spirits, to see whether they are from God. In this first verse, John gives the negative pattern, the positive response, and the reason for his instruction. Okay, so the negative is stop believing every spirit. The positive is Instead, test them to see that they are from God. And then the reason is because, as Rosie said, many false prophets have gone out into the world. Okay, Paul, Paul gave a similar warning in 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 and 22. He said, but test everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Okay, heeding these warnings has the effect of keeping a person from every form of evil. When we, when we listen to the truth uh, of the Word of God. So let's talk for a moment about spirits. Okay, I, wa- I want you to understand that John is not talking about 
invisible spirits lurking around you or sitting on your shoulder whispering in your ear. Uh, in fact, evil spirits are even more out in the open than you might think, okay, as we'll see in this, in this passage. This is it's not intended to become a doctrine about how to do exorcisms okay, or to suggest that there are evil spirits in your car or in your office or in your house to suggest that you can or should speak to or command or rebuke evil spirits. Okay, what John is talking about here is, is knowledge. Now, why did I say that evil spirits are more out in the open than you might think? Because John tells us what they are. This is about being able to recognize them. John identified them as false prophets. Okay, look at the end of verse 1 again. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. John has just identified these spirits that are not from God. The spirits are the false teachings of men. That is how these evil spirits are manifested. Here's how it works, really, according to Scripture. Look at what Jesus said about the false teachers in his day, in John 8, 44. Also, according to John from his gospel, we have uh, looked at this previously. We've, I can't remember how many weeks ago it was. We went to this reference, but we're going to go back there tonight. But John 8, 44, we need to see it again. Jesus said, you are of your father the devil, as he's speaking to the, the false teachers of the day. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So Jesus identifies these men as doing the work of their father, the devil. Okay, he identified the source of the evil, but also that it plays out through the actions and teachings of men. This is spiritual in nature to be sure, but not demonic creatures floating and lurking about as evil breezes in the air. You know, Satan does his work through false, the false teachings of men. This is what Paul told Timothy in his first letter. If you want to turn there, 1 Timothy chapter 4 for a minute. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And this is what Paul told Timothy here when he warned him how Satan works. And let's look at what he says. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 and 2. Paul writes, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Okay, first, notice that, that Paul told Timothy, the, the Spirit expressly says. Paul's talking about the Spirit of God there. That reference is to the Spirit of God. God himself says. The Spirit of God says that in latter times, that is not only latter times in their day, following this letter that he wrote, but this speaks to us as well. I mean, we are definitely in latter times from the, when the time this was written. Um, so he says, the Spirit of God says in latter times, some will depart from the faith. And then he gave the reason why. 
He said, it's because they devoted themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. So question, how did Paul say they received these teachings of demons? How does Paul say it works in that passage in 1 Timothy 4 verse 2? What was that? Right, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. So he's telling you these are, these are doctrines of demons that, that come about through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Satan uses his, his children, right? This is what Jesus was talking about when he said, you're of your father the devil. He's using those people and their false teachings to spread his message. These are men. These are false teachers. Um, again, not floating things around us, okay? Uh, these are false prophets, and they do what they do because their consciences are seared. Their, their consciences no longer work properly because they've been, they've been cauterized, closed off to the truth. They think they're doing good, perhaps. They, they think they're doing the work of God, but they have been deceived by, their fa- by the father of lies, and they go about deceiving others as well. And this is what John is writing to say not to believe. Okay? In fact, he's saying, stop believing every spirit. Stop believing er- everything that someone says supposedly in the name of God. Start testing what they're saying. Another question, what is the only way that we have at our disposal to test the teachings of these spirits, to test the teachings of these false teachers? His Word, the Word of God, right, the Bible. That does not mean we cannot learn from other people, okay, let's, let's get that straight, but we need to learn from other people who are teaching the Bible, not teaching doctrines of demons packaged as a Bible teaching. With, with good-sounding things. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So absolutely, we are to learn from Bible teachers. This is, this is not a message that says stop listening to people altogether. But we must test what people are saying, and we test it with the Word of God. Paul then emphasizes in his letter to Titus um, just what the one teaching must do and be able to do. In Titus 1.9, he must hold firm to the trustworthy Word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. There's a purpose for holding to sound teaching, sound doctrine of the Scripture, uh, and it is to keep you from veering off, to keep you from believing what is false, and it's also to rebuke those who contradict it. The Bible goes on and on with warnings about false teachings, and God has done that for us because He really knows that this is our weak point. This is where we, we struggle. We are weak in this. He knows how easily we can Believe what is false because it appeals to our senses. Right? That's why Scripture talks about false teachings as being things that tickle our ears, right? That people will amass for themselves teachers that will tickle their ears. They, they tell them what they want to hear. Who doesn't want to hear about how wonderful you are? You know, we all want to hear stuff like that. 
Um, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 13. Deuteronomy chapter 13. And we'll look at verses 1 through 4. The warnings about false teachers are not just in the New Testament. They're not just for New Testament believers. It was, this has been going on throughout, throughout time. God has always had to warn his people about false teaching. So Deuteronomy 13, starting in verse 1. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. And notice that that some sign or wonder was done and that the message was to follow a different God. Okay, we need to be aware that there are, there are many fancy stories out there. Okay, what, what seem to be amazing wonders that are meant to grab our senses when we hear about them. Dreams and visions, signs and wonders. But the desire of the false prophet is to use those emotions and senses and false signs and wonders to get you to follow a false god. Okay, to get you to set aside the true God. And when someone starts talking about their dreams and visions and signs and wonders, you should immediately be on your guard. Okay, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. And we must be aware that there were actual signs and wonders done. In, in that Deuteronomy passage, it makes that clear. Right, that there, something actually happened. Something was done to impress. But the message that went with this sign or this dream, what the message that went with it was false. That message was to go off and worship another god. And, what we're, and that's what we're to focus on. That's the point of this. We're to focus on the message. Even... Uh, the God-given signs and wonders in the pages of the New Testament that we see, the, the genuine ones that we know are from God, they're not given as the end-all, be-all. There's a message that goes with these. One commentator put it this way, and I agree, miraculous signs alone were never meant to be a test of truth. A prophet or a dreamer's prediction may come true, but if his message contradicted God's commands, the people were to trust God and his word rather than such experience. And we, we must come back to the only source of truth. And we must come back to the Bible, and we must test every message with the Bible, which is God's word. And John commands them to stop believing every spirit. That, that is, uh, every teaching of man. Now, it may be true, but you need to test it. 
like the Bereans. What did they do? Paul brought the message. What did they do? They went back and they tested it with the Scripture to see if these things were so. And that's the point. It's not that you hear someone and you consider everyone a liar until you're proven otherwise, but you go and you test it. Okay? You, should be, you should test that anytime we preach a sermon from this church, from this pulpit. Anytime we teach a study, you should be testing what is said with the Scriptures. That's the only way that you'll know. And we know, even from last week's message too, that we have the Spirit of God within us who testifies to us what is true. So John commands them to stop believing every spirit, first test it, to see if it accords with the words of God. And let's look at the, the test criteria that John uses in our passage. He goes to the subject of the person of Jesus Christ. Look at the next two verses in 1 John 4, verses 2 and 3. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Again, we, we have John telling the people that, that they can know. They can know something. We've heard this from John before. He's given them a lot of things in here that are proofs, things that he says, you can know this. You can know if you are saved by this. Okay. He, he's given them the test criteria so they can apply it to everything they hear. Now, this is not the only test we use, okay, but, but it is the example that John gives here. This is the, the, a very relevant test. It's relevant to the people that John was writing to in his day, uh, but it is also relevant for us today. It is relevant for them because, as I said, they had the false teachings, the active false teachings of the Gnostics. And those false teachings vary particularly about the person of Jesus Christ. This would have had a, a quick and relevant consequences. To hear this letter for those people that John wrote to would have quick and relevant consequences um, back in that day. For those who, had, who were starting to believe what the Gnostics had said or maybe had already gone to believing what they had said, um, they would be faced now with the words of John telling them something that totally contradicts what the Gnostics are saying. The Gnostics fail the test. John gives the criteria, the Gnostics fail the test. Therefore, if you're following them, following the ones who say Jesus Christ did not come in the flesh, then you are following an evil spirit. You are not following the Spirit of God. John said every spirit, or in other words, every teaching you hear that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. You can see how that would immediately grab the attention of someone following the teachings of the Gnostics. Wait, they say Jesus didn't come in the flesh, so that means they are not telling the truth. That means, according to John, they are not from God. Their message is not from God. Not only are these people not from God, sent from God to give this message, their message is not from God, and they are not of God. Then John tells them what they can, to what they can attribute this teaching. So what, what does John tell them is the source of that teaching, according to our passage? Demons? Yeah, he calls it the spirit of the Antichrist. Right? It's from Satan, the Antichrist. He said, this is the spirit of the Antichrist. 
So which is more dangerous, do you think? More dangerous to the church? Straight, a straightforward contradiction of the truth or truth mixed with error? Truth mixed with error. I would agree. Right? A straightforward contradiction of the truth. Most of the time we can see and go, uh, sorry, that's false. But what gets people is something that's mixed with error. Truth that's mixed with error. And when we're not prepared, when we don't know the Word of God, we won't recognize the bit in there that is error. But that bit that's error is something that pollutes all of it. Okay, the, the Word of God is the Word of God. It doesn't mix with what is false. And we can't take the Word of God and add something or take something uh, and make it what we want it to be because then we have corrupted the Word of God. And pastors and elders are uh, specifically called to fight against error, um, fight against the mixing of error with the truth. They're called to contend for the faith, but it is not only for pastors and elders. Okay? Every Christian, every one of us, is called to believe the truth, learn the truth, know the truth, and hold fast to the truth. Every one of us. And not only as, as a personal protection for each of us, but as the means of rebuke, rebuking others who are in error. As a means of keeping the church pure. And when there's evil in the church, in the form of the sins of other people or uh, of false teachings, those people are to be called to repentance and restoration. If they refuse to abide by God's commands, the church is to cast them out. God's church is to be set apart unto him. And 1 Corinthians 5.13 says, God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. And this, that's sort of the tamed down version of the same principle in the Old Testament. In fact, in that earlier passage that we looked at in, in Deuteronomy, we can see in the next verse, after where we stopped, uh, that God has the same goal for his people in Deuteronomy 13.5. Okay, this is after talking about that prophet that was, had these signs and wonders and then told him to go worship another god. He goes on to say, but that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. Because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave, leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. Okay, I mean, it was the death penalty for saying something that was from God when it wasn't from God, for enticing people to go worship another God, claiming to be a prophet of God and you are not a prophet of God. This, this required the death penalty. Now, we don't have that today. Um, we, we leave that to God. Okay? Paul's instruction was to purge the evil person from among you. He's not saying put them to death. <laughs> purge them from among you. And, and the New Testament scriptures have given us instructions on how to handle church discipline, on how to handle the evil that is in the church um, and when people refuse to repent um, and turn, turn from their sin. This is how God feels about these false spirits that John's writing about. These evil teachings of demons that, that, uh, conscience, that conscience-seared men are teaching. And the worst of which is to teach that Jesus Christ has not come in the flesh. I don't know if there's a worse false teaching than to teach that Jesus Christ has not come in the flesh. Because if Jesus has not come in the flesh, then he didn't live a sinless life. He didn't give his life for your sins. 
He didn't atone for your sins. He, he was not the propitiation for your sins and the wrath of God on your behalf. He didn't die for you. He didn't rise from the dead for you. And you're still condemned in your sins if Jesus Christ didn't come in the flesh. So what is a person left with then? Well, to try to appease the wrath of God on their own. And let me tell you, there's nothing more frightening than the prospect of that kind of teaching. To to try to spend your life appeasing the wrath of God on your own uh, is a frightening thing. Okay? Uh, That kind of teaching gets into the church through a mixture of truth and error. Um, And it's sometimes really hard to recognize. So John says we must test the spirits. It's a matter of life and death. We should be aware, whatever the false teaching it is, it's a denial of Christ. Okay? It, it does not have to be only on the topic of whether Jesus came in the flesh to be a denial of Christ. If someone's teaching any false doctrine, he's teaching what God has not said. And he's teaching it as truth. And we're to contend for the faith, as Jude wrote in his letter. He wanted to write to them for a specific purpose. Uh, about their common salvation. He wanted to write a, a joyful thing, but because of false teaching, he had to write something else. He says this, Jude 1, 3 and 4, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So test every teaching, every message, everything you hear with the Word of God. The Bible is what we use. You can't test them with your feelings. You can't test them with your experiences. You can't test them with other people's feelings or other people's experiences, only with the truth. John has made it clear that the the Christian has the Spirit of God and therefore the truth abiding in him. He teaches us, the Spirit of God teaches us through his all-sufficient word. We need to rejoice in that, that God has given us his word and has preserved his word to guard and protect us. And remember, as we saw in, in chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, verses 21 and 22, um, he talks about that. He says, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. And next time we'll see how John encourages his readers again with reminding them of who they are in Christ and that we have overcome the world because he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Right? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you again for tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you for these reminders from John. I pray, Father, that we would be diligent and test every spirit, test every teaching that we listen to or hear or read, Father, that we would test it with your word, the the true standard, the only truth. I pray, Father, that through your spirit indwelling, that you would 
lead us into all truth. You would, you would reassure our hearts before you that we are of you. And I pray, Lord, that we would all uh, continue to grow in knowledge and understanding of you so that we may be able to recognize what is false and therefore protect ourselves, therefore protect others, therefore keep your church pure, Father. We thank you for your loving kindness in our lives and thank you for salvation that is found in Christ alone. We are so grateful, Father. We praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.